You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the, you the best. Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Steal home! Fernando Tatis Jr. just walked in! Wow. If you think I, I, it's I, making excuses, good, go crap point? in the lake. Okay. I don't care. You know, maybe the Canucks could have got it done if they'd come really hot, really fast. Yeah, I might reckon. Small things. Oh, okay, don't shake it in. <laughs> Hey, what's up? It is another edition of Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd here with uh, Jason Bruff. And as you can tell from the intro, just another packed night on the sports calendar yesterday. Cra- crazy times in sports. You know, I was <laughs> I was doing the prep last night and I was like, well, we're going to have to yeah. leave a lot of stuff I was going to say, sometimes you know? the hard thing is to decide, uh, you know, what to leave on the cutting room yeah. floor, right? You know? I, just, I would love to talk about it, but we just yeah. can't get to it tomorrow. I just do, do not know if we'll be able to cover every baseball game that happened last night. <laughs> but we're going to do our darndest. Time. We're going to run through the whole league, get into all the details. Uh, we do have a good show coming up, though, uh, despite our, our banter here. Uh, four guests on the program. Trey Wingo, really looking forward to this, uh, at 630. He is the senior NFL analyst uh, for Pro Football Network and the 33rd team. He's coming up at 630. At 7, Adam Stanley, of course, uh, PGA analyst, uh, will join us and Bruff, very, very excited for that one. And I will ask him the question. Yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to that segment. I actually want to ask Adam um, whether or not he thinks the concept of team golf could work in Mm. the PGA Tour. Because there's two reasons for that. First of all, Liv tried it, and I think Saudi Arabia wants to do it. So maybe that's one of their investment projects in the PGA Tour. But also, like, the Ryder Cup is coming up. And we all know how awesome that is, at least golf fans do. Okay, not to derail going through the lineup here, but like, what's the. Why is Saudi Arabia so committed to this idea I don't of team know. golf? Like, what's the uh, deal? Well, maybe they can. Maybe they just see some sort of opportunity to bring in a new idea to everyday golf. I guess. I don't you know? know, like the team golf is pretty limited to the Ryder Cup, President's Cup. Yep. Um, there's a couple of tournaments where it's like two guys team up and, and play, but I just wonder if there's like a money making opportunity to have like franchises. I was gonna say, is it know? like about merch? You know what I Could mean? Be. Like you start yeah. a team and then over, oh, I'm a big fan. I'm of actually, team. I'm actually kind of curious about it. Like I think, it would, yeah. I think it would be. I think it would be cool. So we'll talk to Adam Stanley about that. I'm sure he has some good thoughts on it. Uh, 7.30 from The Athletic, our guy Thomas Drance joining us. Uh, you heard a great Drancer clip on the intro there. We will talk to him about uh, some of our forced Canucks debates, uh, the Puce Suter deal, which I don't think he's been on the radio to talk about. He's written like at least two articles about mm-hmm. it at The Athletic. He was so excited. So. Well, we, we can talk to him about that article he wrote while he was walking around Vancouver. And he was talking about, like, what a meaningful, successful season for the Canucks would be. And I think he he made a lot of good points in his article. Like, it has to be more than just uh, make the playoffs or not, mm. right? Like, there has to be some more, I don't know how you describe it, like, 
qualitative mm-hmm. aspects to it as opposed to just which is weird for Drance because you normally all about the yes. numbers, right? Yeah. Like, but but you just have to like feel that the direction of the franchise is turning around. Like there have to be other things besides like, hey, they made the playoffs. Like, well, what if they made the playoffs by one point? Yeah. And then get swept. And, and then get and, swept. You know, but, and Tom Olander has a brutal season in, in, yeah, in the NCAA. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. That sort of thing. Like, yeah. all the drama that popped up last season still managed to pop up this season. Yeah. Uh, and at eight, Richie Larea, uh, one of the newest signings of the Vancouver Whitecaps, uh, will join us for a chat. So really looking forward to that big show. But we will start it off with what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? Uh, before we get into what happened, I got some reads I got to get through here. Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit bccsa.ca. And, of course, I also want to tell you about the very exciting contest uh, that Sportsnet 650 and the BC Lions have partnered on. Your chance to win a seat for you and nine, a suite, I should say, for you and nine friends to watch the BC Lions versus the Hamilton Tiger Cats from a private luxury suite on Saturday, August 26th. It's a 4 p.m. game. You will be hosted by none other than Halford, Bruff, A-Dog, and Laddie. Yes, that's right. All four of them there with you and nine friends. You can enjoy the game in complete comfort. Feel like a VIP from your own private suite. Plus, your prize package also includes BC Lions shirts, Hats, foam fingers, hot dogs, popcorn, snacks in the suite as well. You can go to sportsnet.ca slash 650 and click on the contest page to enter. Winner will be announced on Monday. And if you're really lucky, one of you can drive me home. (laughs) (laughs) Please, I mean, I'm not going to lie. You had me at hot dogs. That's all I needed to say. (laughs) Please only enter if you have your driver's license. That's that's Brock's request. If you're willing to drive Brock home. Yeah, I have a party to go to that night, so I, this is my this is my warm up. Uh, uh, six fifty six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, let's get into what happened. As mentioned, pretty quiet night on the sports schedule in baseball. Jays lose. To the Phillies, they were going for the mini sweep, the two-game sweep. Instead, they lose 9-4, and coupled with the Mariners' win now, I believe, uh, the Mariners beat Kansas City. The Mariners are now just a game back of the Jays for that final wildcard spot. The Jays three games back uh, of the Houston Astros for the second wildcard spot. Okay, so you're a big Jays fan, right? Okay, Uh, Laddie, you're a big Jays fan. How how are you guys feeling about the team right now from a from a fan perspective? Uh well there's two two halves. It's like Jekyll and Hyde. The mm-hmm. pitching staff I'm in love with. <laughs> Everyone else 
It's been a struggle. Everyone it's been probably can, the most frustrating team I've watched mm-hmm. in my baseball are, life. Are you yelling at the TV a lot when you're watching the games? Uh, only when there's runners in scoring position, which is <laughs> right quite enough. often. Right yeah. like, Come on, get it done. <laughs> nope. Why are you hitting 180 or whatever it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. been very frustrating because they're they're a great hitting team until there's runners until in there's, scoring Until position. it matters. Yeah. <laughs> until it's like it would be good to have a hit. Mm-hmm. And you're like, ah, okay, this is not working out. And, and you know, I have to be honest with you, we'll get to you in just a sec, Jamie, but like Laddie is like such a good, loyal, and for the most part, um, like even even tempered sure. fan. Like he's he's which makes him a really boring fan. Like he's not living well, it's baseball. in baseball. Yeah, but 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 yes, that's baseball. I know baseball. that's baseball. I know there's 162 games, but there's still some people that watch their teams. Like even though there's 162 yeah. games, that they're just like, ah, come on, like yeah. you know, like. Uh, even earlier in the season, but like you, co- I could not get a reaction out of Laddie earlier in the season. I'm like, are you getting, are you getting a little bit? <laughs> Eight strikeouts and Rum's going. That's sequencing. <laughs> yeah, and and but now I can I can sense like it's not full blown panic. You're still kind of that's baseball-y mm-hmm. with this team. Um, it's getting to the point where it matters now, though. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's ramping up a little. Yeah, bit. yeah. So like the, the 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 stakes are starting to build because this Mariners hot streak, although they. You know, the, it looked like they they might have peaked, but now they've they've won a couple come now, back yeah. and won a couple of pretty exciting games uh, in Kansas City. Like, like Jamie, I'll ask you now. Like, what happens if they miss the playoffs? Yeah, that's a fascinating question. And just to the kind of the fan reaction point you're talking about with Laddie, like for me, it's not panic because I've already reached a stage of like resignation. Like, that this team probably just doesn't have the goods, so they're not going to do much. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. They probably will miss the playoffs because they can't get out of their own way. So it's it's moved beyond panic even. You know is what I that, mean? Is that the runners in scoring position thing? Yeah. and So, it, it, so like, for me, though, I mean, how much of that is just – is that bad luck? So I should say it? it's the runners in scoring position thing, which I think a lot of it is bad luck. But the – the number one thing is Vladdy. And Vladdy, it's not just runners in scoring position. He's just not himself. And that's what they need. They need a legit middle-of-the-order bat, right? Mm-hmm. Even if he was hitting more solo home runs, it would look a lot different. But he, I think he's just completely in his own head right now. And he, he's not the player. He's not even close to the player they need him to be. And I don't think that is just luck or something that's like bound to regress. Like a lot of the runners and scoring position stuff is, I think, and that could change next year, but it's not, it's not bad luck that he's been really frustrating. And I think for me, those two things taken together, it's just like, if, if that's the case, they probably don't have the goods. He's probably probably the most frustrating out of the entire group because he's still showing some signs of life. There was a stat they showed actually at the Rogers center when I was there, that he's second in the league in hard hit balls behind a. Oh yeah, no, he the like ball like pops off his bat just yeah. directly into the ground it's for a double play. The most frustrating <laughs> thing, right? And and like I said, he's not having a horrible season. He's no. by by the average baseball standard, he's do, having an okay season. Do you think he, he would have won the hitting into a double play competition? Yes. Well, him and Kirk would have a good challenge. You should you could you should see him in that one. Yeah, <laughs> Kirk with his speed will give him a good run for his money. <laughs> so um, you've got two key players for the Jays and they're different, but these guys were expected to be at a high level. And one is Manoa. Mm. He's down in the minors and who who saw that coming? Like maybe someone saw a little regression coming, right? Like maybe he won't be a Cy Young candidate, but like, I don't think anyone saw him twice demoted to the minors and the Jays sitting there going like, well, we can't even like trust this guy. Like he can't even 
we can't even start him. And then Vladdy obviously hasn't struggled as much as Manoa, but you know, he struggled. So I guess the question is if, if they miss the playoffs or even if they squeak into the playoffs and it lasts like two games or whatever, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't go well, maybe a bit like last season. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, like, where do they go from here? Do they just keep trying? To, are they worried about keeping some of their young talent then, long-term? That like That's, I think, starting to be the conversation around the Jays. Because for so long, it was about, okay, we have this young, talented core, right, centered around Bichette and Guerrero, and we're going to build around them. But you have to start looking now at, well, what are, what, what are the decisions we're going to make about their future? Do we want to try to sign Vlad mm-hmm. Guerrero to a long-term contract? Do we want to try to lock up... Bo Bichette, what's the ceiling with this team? And the interesting thing is, you know, they already kind of used a pretty big card this offseason when they, you know, okay, we're, they said that basically the team is too structured around hitting home runs, not enough defense, not enough versatility. That's why they let Teoscar Hernandez go. That's why they traded for Dalton Varsho. They tried to remake this team around, you know, defense and, and, a little more hitting for contact. Run speed. prevention, I think. Yeah, is what run they prevention. And that's worked to an extent, except now the team's offense drives you insane, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's like, well, they already you already tried to restructure the team and like, okay, it wasn't working out that way. We're gonna remake our identity. And it feels like this management group has been there long enough. They've hired a few a couple of different managers. Like at a certain point, you start to wonder if they're if they're the people to help the team make the next step. So what are the decisions that they've got to make with Bichette and Vladdy. I'm just trying to look up when is Vladdy a free agent. It's not. It's still not for a couple of years. Yeah, it's coming up though. But it's like it's starting to loom. The in conversations the, in the should be happening. Yeah, right. exactly. It's it's kind of the time where if you want to be proactive, right, and lock them up, like now is the time to do it, mm-hmm. right. And I think actually some people would even say over the last couple of years they've maybe missed an opportunity to be proactive and and try to lock those guys up to long. He's actually deals. on a one year right now because they avoided arbitration, right. So if he's making fourteen point five mil. At this point in time, and yeah, it's going to be interesting. Like all their contract negotiations are going to be interesting. Like, what does an Alec Manoa contract look like at this point? Right? Like, how do you even begin? <laughs> like, yeah, you, if you're on the Manoa camp, you're obviously you're, you're flouting those numbers from the first season, and then if you're on the other side, it's like, well, you bombed this year. So, but like, wow, they they would never say like, well, we don't really want to sign Vladdy or Bichette long term now, would they? Uh, well, I think like the how, how would they, is, how would they how would they operate that way? Like, I think the problem is with Vladdy. If you were to like, do you want to sign him long term at the number that he would agree to at this point? Right, right. Given okay. that he's basically had one high level season in the majors at this point, and he's had other decent seasons, but yeah. not necessarily like star caliber seasons. But he's going to demand to be he, paid but at he, the highest level. He is wants to be in that kind of Acuna, Fernando Tatis class of players, right? Where right. it's like, no, I'm a middle of the order slugger. I want to be making, you know. Is he going to steal home? <laughs> I'd love to see him try. Yeah. That'd be exciting. Um, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, I guess it's slightly reminiscent of the PD situation. And since there's not much going on, let's do another one of these forced Canucks debates. When are you expecting an extension to be signed like if you had to if you had to bet and there was like these different options Mm -hmm. of like okay he's gonna sign before training camp or let's say before this season starts to make it simpler or he's gonna start he's gonna sign during 
next season, or it's going to be the following off season, or he's not going to sign at all. Where would you put your money right now? I think I would take next off season. Next so not off-season. before this season, not during the season. Next off season, right? It does seem and th- like, and, and that is going to take some PRing from the Canucks mm-hmm. if that's the case. Like we had conversations, like Patrick Alvina said, "Listen, we're going to meet with the representation, PD's representation, maybe a little closer to training camp because a lot of a lot of people are on vacation right now, right? Like it's hard. These deals require a lot of people mm-hmm. involved, um, and there's a lot of things to get done, and you know." PD needs a vacation too. I don't. I don't know where he is right now in the world. I see him like boating with Nils Hoglander yes. over in Sweden. So like, he he needs a break, and and I'm I'm sure he's still working out. But the contract talks, like a lot can get done in a few days. So once everyone starts coming back into town, you can set up some meetings with PD's representations and have some uh, and have some talk. But yeah, I'm kind of with you, like. I'm prepared to be surprised. Like, mm-hmm. oh, we, we actually got it done. But I'm also just wondering from Petey's perspective if he might want to slow play this just a little bit just to see how the season goes, um, just to see if he wants he really wants to be here long term. Yeah, and I mean, the the messaging we've heard from his agent has been that there's basically no rush. Now, they've also said, look, we'll talk in the fall, right, and we'll see if we can do something, but – there's not in uh, it doesn't seem like there's a sense of urgency on Patterson's side to get a deal done and that makes sense because the whole idea of and I can see this argument right okay you had a 102 point season just sign a deal now right that's an incredible platform year cash in on that strike while the iron is hot but the thing is he can take a big step back in terms of point production and still be in line to make an incredible deal right like yeah. even if he has 80 points next year but he's a really good two-way player like He's still going to get a great deal. He's, he's still going to get a great he, contract. He's got the Vladdy reputation, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, he's an elite talent. Yeah, exactly. So, you know? you know, there's not that much risk. Like, obviously, there's always risk inherent, especially in a sport like hockey. And, you know, if he completely falls off the map, that changes things. But he's in a really good position where, yeah, he's coming off a great platform year, but he doesn't. it's not like he needs to do it again in order to get a great deal, right? Like, yeah. he's put himself in a position, no matter when he signs, it's going to be for a nice contract. What about some of this talk that we're hearing? And I don't know if it's informed speculation or just pure speculation that it might be a shorter-term deal for Petey. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that is driven by the idea that we're going to see that more in the NHL in general. And like, like really, Austin we've Matthews only seen Yeah, like Austin deal. Matthews yeah. types contracts. And he's really the only one, I think, yeah. who's done that. I don't know. I mean, like, as you say, like, is that just speculation? Is that informed speculation? I have no idea. I think it changes. It makes it more like if he's willing to go short term, I guess it makes it more likely that they're able to get a deal done. Or I should say if he wants to go short term, yeah, right? Because yeah. then it's less like you're marrying your whole career to the Canucks. Eight years is a long time. Eight years like, is That a would long be given, giving time. his entire prime mm-hmm. to the Vancouver Canucks. And he's he prepared to do that now, which begs the question: What would the fan reaction be if PD signed a three-year extension? Whew. I mean, it it would kind of to me it would bring to mind like an NBA situation, right? What which, if you matched him with Quinn's contract, yeah, for example? So that'd be four more years. I mean that he's then, got, but he's got next year, so it would be a three-year extension, right? 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 right, right. Yeah. yeah. Um. 
that would be fascinating. Yeah. But, but again, it kind of brings to mind the NBA where teams are kind of constantly on notice that, okay, we are always thinking. Even like mm-hmm. Joel Embiid has like a just signed a four year extension, but we talked to yeah. uh, Keith Pompey from Philly and they're like, oh, yeah, we're worried about they're worried about keeping him. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you just signed an extension, but you're kind of always in that position where you're worried about the next deal or the next new right. move for a superstar. And I think if that was the situation with Pedersen and Hughes, that's exactly what the conversation would be like here, right? Like, can we put a good enough team around them where they want to stay, where they choose to stay? Mm-hmm. And you would have that immediate ticking clock time pressure. Would the cap hit go up or down with the short term? It would be down, right? You would think so. Yeah. Theoretically, yeah. yeah. Theoretically, it would go down. So now, maybe that's a, that's a, that's an, you could see the Canucks making that argument to mm-hmm. themselves or at least selling it. With a shorter-term contract for Petey, we can add mm-hmm. maybe another key player. It's to the, the mix. question is how much of a discount are you getting? Right? Yeah. Is it like a five hundred thousand AAV discount? Is it more than that? And I think, you know, you look at Austin Matthews. How much of a discount did he take on his five-year deal? Probably not much, mm. right? He still got a really, really good salary, sure. yeah, yearly yeah. salary. So I think yeah. that's the concern. Is that yeah? Theoretically, you can go a little bit shorter term and maybe get a discount, and maybe that helps you put a contender on the ice in that deal. But when you're dealing with an elite player like Pedersen, how much does that discount actually materialize? Oh, we got a text into the Dunbar-Lumber text line. How does Jamie Dodd feel about long-term contracts as compared to Halford? For- Halford Halford hates the long-term contracts in the NHL, and I'm kind of on board with him, right? Like, I would like if there was a limit of five years. Mm. I, I just I think that would make it uh, I think that would make it better. I think that it would it would create fewer um, like awful contracts. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just me being you know somewhat scarred from the Canucks. Like the Luongo contract, you know, took a lot out of me mentally. And then you had you know your Louis Eriksons and your Oliver Ekman Larsons, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Like if if the max is five. Mm-hmm then there's going to be more short-term contracts, right? Like, it's just, it's, it's just going to trickle down. I imagine. Like, not everyone would sign a five-year deal. If the culture around signing players kind of changed a little bit to more of a short-term, more of an NBA-style thing, um, you know, I find it I, – I, I know the question is for you, but it, but I find it, like, depressing sometimes. Like, the past few years when I've looked at the Canucks cap situation and been like – how are they going to get out of this? Like, this is going to take a long time. He's the only answer for this time. And I don't like that. I don't think that's good for a league. I don't think it's good when teams look at their – or fans look at their yeah. team and they're like, we're screwed for a while. Well, I think that's the big – so if we're talking about, you know, how do I feel about teams giving long-term eight-year deals, like, well, if it's a player like Elias Pettersson, I feel really good about it. That's a good bat from the team's perspective. If we're talking about it from a league-wide entertainment perspective, yeah – I, I think, again, to make the comparison to the NBA, four-year max, five-year if you're re-signing your own player. And what that does is, one, as you say, you're never you're never too far away from being able to turn things around, from having a clean slate, right? From having a situation where, okay, yeah, we signed these bad deals, but now they only have one year left and we can start planning for the future. You're never too far from that. And it just... it. It promotes player movement, which is a thing we talk about all the time in the NHL, how there is relatively little of it. If all of a sudden all you can sign is a five-year deal, like if everyone's on the Austin Matthews plan, basically every superstar Mm -hmm. is on the Austin Matthews plan, it creates that situation where teams are going to be constantly feeling the pressure to 
be trying to convince their star players like, hey, no, we're we're where you should be. And I think that would be good. I, I think, think so too. like lighting a little bit of a fire under the feet of these teams would be good for the league ultimately. Uh, Keaton texts in, I'm only 28. Congratulations, Keaton. So I didn't completely understand the cap dynamics when Lou was getting traded. Also, we didn't have Drance stuffing it down our throats every day for two hours. Could you guys please go into how difficult it was for the Canucks to trade Lou at the time? What were some of the complications and what was his value perceived across the league at the time? There were, there were multiple complications. Mm -hmm. That's why it was so complicated. It was a long contract. They brought in this cap recapture rule. Um, and that made it very difficult for the Canucks to trade him. Um, it was also trying to get value for him, right? They didn't yeah. just want to give him away. And, you know, the, Lou, everyone knew he was, a, he, was a, he was a great goalie, but he was getting a little bit older. Mm -hmm. And there were some warts on him, right? Like, the, there honestly were. In the Stanley Cup final in 2011, even though he put up great numbers during the playoffs, like, they – you know, Schneider beat him out for the job at times, mm -hmm. right? You know, you look back on the on the soap opera and it's sometimes hard to piece it together in chronological chronological order. But, like, that was basically the complication. There were very few teams that were going to be in on Roberto Luongo. Toronto acted like they were yeah. interested, and I think that might have just been the Leafs playing the Canucks a little bit. Or at the very least, they wanted him for basically for free. And then the uh, the Heritage Classic happened, and they went back and just talked to Florida again. And Florida was one of those teams that was had the cap space and was willing to uh, trade for Lou because, like, he was a legend in Florida, at least as, mong, uh, as much a, as a <laughs> as hockey player be. could yeah. be a legend in Florida. Have I missed anything on that? No, I think that and that, that was a big part of it, right? Is the limited destinations. And it always seemed like it was going to be Florida yeah. in the end, right? This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the best. The best. Halford and Bruff. And what we just have to call Thomas Grant's erotica. Thomas Grant's erotica. Of course. Thomas Grant's erotica. Expected goals. Thomas Grant's erotica. Dog model. All right, that can only mean one thing. Welcome back. Halfin and Bruff here, Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. Uh, Halfin and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. You know, I was just thinking, um, we're going to talk to Drance uh, coming up next. We would never think to, like, book Halford. <laughs> You know what? I actually did think about doing that once, and I thought it'd be hilarious. But I'm sure he wouldn't. He wouldn't come. How like, would you imagine no. like ask him questions about the Canucks? He's like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you calling me right now? <laughs> like, please don't. 
Yeah. I feel like he's still on the team. Oh, really? Okay. The only two hosts that get booked as guests on other shows, and Drance is a little different because he yeah. has the athletic role as well, but Drance mm. and Sat. Sat, yeah, yeah. He's a good the, insider. The, uh, yeah. So the, yeah, everyone yeah. else, not worth talking to, frankly. Yeah. I feel yeah. like Halford would be a good Including guest. Including me. Like, I, I'm just thinking back to like my phone conversations with Halford. He's, he's yeah. good on the phone. I feel like he'd be a good guest. What? Uh, w- w- I feel like for soccer. Yeah. If like if if leading up to the World Cup, I could see booking Halford on another show on the mm-hmm. station to talk That's soccer. That's about it though. He would probably say no, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, he'd be like, I'm on the air for three hours. Yeah, and then I <laughs> and I'm done. That's what I'm paid for. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Bye. <laughs> see you on the air. Uh do we have your answer ready? Ready to go? Yeah. All right. Uh, now joining us from Sportsnet six fifty and also of course from the Athletica, our guy Thomas Trance. What's going on, man? Not much, boys. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. We're doing well. Yeah, we were discussing earlier, um, trying to figure out when Petey's going to sign an extension. Where are you handicapping it at, uh, Drance? This organization, especially over the last year, um, has come out of left field a little bit with a variety of big moves. So I think a bit of a fool's errand to handicap it. What I would say, though, is the dynamic that we're in is really complicated for reasons that have nothing to do with Pedersen or with the Canucks, frankly. Um, you look at where we're at, right? And, and we're in one last flat cap summer where, you know, prices were pretty modest I, I, across the board, right, in, in terms of what players signed for in free agency this year. Uh, I think most people in the industry are projecting, you know, something like a $4 million lift next season. And then – Perhaps a significant, like, you know, I, I've heard agents and, and general managers and a variety of people with real skin in the game uh, discuss sort of the season beyond next year. So not 2023-24, but 24-25 as like an elevator season or an escalator season, like a year where the cap might really go up, right? So if you're Pedersen, I think it's really difficult to – figure out what your value is on something like an eight-year deal or and maybe you do go shorter, but, it, but if you want to go max term on your third contract, you know, you'd be signing a deal that could be well below market, like well below market by year two of the deal, right? right? Like that's really complicated to figure out how to value. Um, you know, the, the AHO comp sort of looms large for us, right? But first of all, that's you know, a, a team that wins or, or contends anyway every year, right? Uh, that's a low-tax market, right? There, there's sort of different factors at play, and that's a sweetheart contract. If you're not keen to necessarily sign a sweetheart contract in, in a high-tax jurisdiction, um, or if you want to wait and see and be like, hey, look, like we've got to make some progress here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's your incentive to do that type of deal early? I'm not saying that's not a possibility. I, I'm just not expecting it. So I, I won't be like stunned. It's not like my jaw will hit the floor. And I, I don't mean to hedge. You know me. I, I hate to hedge. Like I want to have a take. But um, I wouldn't be shocked. My jaw wouldn't hit the floor if the deal was like announced around Labor Day. Like if just like they've sure. been working quietly in the background and we get it, you know, before training camp. That won't blow me away, mm-hmm. but I won't be surprised at all if this drags into the season. Um, you know, for me, I think you want to try and get it done before this deal expires because once you get into that final year and you've got arbitration rights and 
you know, you're only one year away from unrestricted free agency and say the cap goes up 4 million, but like everyone's like, Hey, it could be a, you know, 94, $95 million cap. And you'd be hitting unrestricted free agency. Like that's a situation I don't think you want to be in. If you're the Vancouver Canucks, that becomes like a pretty compelling mix of factors right, yeah. for, for anyone, any individual. This isn't like a, a Pedersen specific thing because I don't think he's, a guy who's like a, a pure maximize my income guy. Like I think mm-hmm. he's a guy who wants to win and be in a situation where he's having fun playing hockey uh, above all else. I think it's more holistic, but obviously everyone wants to get paid. So, uh, you know, th- that to me is where I think it gets a little dicier for the Canucks, but yeah, more than anything, I think if you're trying to handicap when this happens, um, you know, look, looking at the board, right. And seeing how the big picture impacts this negotiation, I think will tell you the most about it particularly because, um, you know, it, it's been so quiet out of the Canucks, not just around this negotiation, but around most big-ticket items that they've been considering over the course of the last 14, 15 months. Dranzer, how possible is it that this end up, this uh, PD contract, if he signs with the Canucks, ends up being like three or four years? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting possibility. I, I th- that's a good way to potentially hedge it, right? Yeah. Like to, to bridge the gap that I just described mm-hmm. would be to go shorter term, um, you know, and, and Pedersen's still young enough that he'd still be in his 20s, right? When, when he'd hit unrestricted free agency. Although, you know, even a, even a four-year term means that you're five years out from, from getting a chance to hit unrestricted free agency. I think he'd be 29 because he'll turn 25 um, early, early uh, in the fall. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's – uh, for sure, an interesting possibility. Aho obviously did go long, um, but we've got Matthews out there, and, and I think a lot of people expect that one to be short, just as his second contract was sort of uniquely short. Like we don't see a lot of um, a lot of uh, what, what was it, four or five year terms? Five, yeah, 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 on a on a second contract. Um, so yeah, I mean that's a potential way that you could do it to protect the player. Right from signing for you know the amount that a third line center ends up making in, in three years, right? Because that's absolutely the world we could be in, right? Like that, that there's no question about it. I, I've been saying ever since the flat cap came in, I've been saying someone in the NHL, there's someone out there who's going to be Timofey Mozgov, right? Like like imagine being JT Comfer, right? Where you're like the best unrestricted free agent center, even though you're probably a third line center who comes on the market right as the cap hit like hit uh the cap hits like 98 million right like, that's, uh, yeah like that's what you want to be someone in the league and I, someone in the league is going to be timothy mozgov where they sign for an amount that just like melts our brain right and um so yeah i mean could that be like the, the question i guess I, I have is like could that be a big name guy because then i really think there there's a chance to detonate uh, the salary structure, which, you know, it's been so sticky, right? Like that's one thing that NHL teams across the board as a group have done extraordinarily well, right? Like when, when did McDavid sign for yeah. 12 points? Like it feels like forever ago and no one's broken it. Maybe Drysaddle will be the guy to do that. He'd be in position to do it. Yeah, he would be. Yeah, that's a good point. But can he do that on the same team or would he have yeah. to get the market? It feels like it's going to be Matthews that 
breaks that barrier in a in a meaningful yeah. way, right? Yeah. But I mean, again, it's going short term. So is he going to push it as far as he possibly could? And I mean, that's the other thing with the po- possibility of a short term deal for Pedersen is we always think in the mindset of shorter term means lower AAV. But when you're talking about a player of Elias Pedersen's status, and specifically with the kind of the cap dynamics that you're laying out, I mean. Is there is there a significant enough potential savings on the AAV to make a let's say a four year or three or four year extension palatable from a Canucks perspective? Um, I mean, I don't think you with, with so with players like Pedersen, I don't think you worry too much about the term, right? Like that's one thing that I'd sort of bear in mind in, in doing a deal with a player. Like he's hard to overpay. Right? Like, he's actually hard to overpay. It's hard to sign him to a deal that doesn't make sense, which is one thing that's always bothered me about, like, the core four discussion regarding Toronto. And it's not Jason that I'm a Maple Leafs fan. It's that, uh, it's that, you know, like, oh, no, you're paying the best playmaker in the league $10.5 million. Like, yeah, who cares? Like, who cares? That's great. You, you kill to have that guy. You kill to have that guy. 30 teams would love to have that guy. Like that's, you know, you don't worry about overpaying the best players in the league. And when you model out Pedersen's impact, like this is a guy who's, you know, pretty safely projected to be worth, you know, 10, 10 to $12 million per season through the rest of this decade. Like, I just don't even think, you know, if you go long, you're thrilled to lock in Pedersen for, you know, uh, the the rest of his 20s and, and the first two seasons of his 30s. Because, again, at yeah. his age, it's, like, hard to sign him to a deal where you're, like, talking about it as a risky maneuver. Mm-hmm. And if you sign him for four or five years, you know, it, and and you shave a million off the cap hit, like, great. That's even – I mean, that's that might be better, right? Like, there there's – arguably that might be better because then you're in the dynamic that you would have been at. Like, one of the, one of the reasons that I'm always – dogmatic frankly about seeing teams bet big long uh out of uh second contracts or on second contracts is you know i think your goal in a efficiency contest hard cap system should basically be to mine a guy's 20s and then let someone else do the deal in their 30s right like if you're going to win a stanley cup in the first mm-hmm. two three years or, or have a chance to then sure you can you can take on that risk but you also get to make that choice like right at the age that the guy is, you know, uh, like like the Jonathan Huberto Uyghur trades from from Florida's perspective, right? right like, right, yeah. hey, bye guys, and they still have value too, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for me, that's what teams should be trying to set themselves up to do on elite talent. Uh, if if you were able to do four or five with Pedersen, you'd basically have gotten, you'd basically get the benefit. I mean, not quite the cap benefit, but pretty close of of not having messed up and bridged him in the first place. So to me, uh, a four or five year term, um, you know, the, the, the AAV um, is going to be high no matter what. And the, and the term almost doesn't matter. If you get him for eight, great. If you get him for four, great. Like, uh, you know, the, on, on some level, even though this is obviously a complicated contract and teams still have to be very careful about how they structure deals for the best players. Um, just get him signed. Like this guy, this guy's at a caliber where the discussion almost flips a little bit. And and some of the details that we like to obsess over and should obsess over, especially when we're talking about, you know, third line centers, depth defensemen, right? Like guys, the the guys we, you know, so often talk about their contracts. 
Uh, with Pedersen, it's it's just a little different. Hey, Dranser, I enjoyed your article in The Athletic. Uh, the headline was, Why Canucks' Expectations for Next Season Must Extend Beyond the Playoffs. I was kind of laughing, thinking about you walking around the city aimlessly or sitting on <laughs> patios, drinking or whatever, and just like all you could think about was the Canucks. I'm like, there's more to life, Drancer. There's more to life. <laughs> well, you came up with a pretty good uh, you came up with a pretty good column. Why don't you explain for the listeners what were you, what you were thinking and what your idea behind this column was? Yeah, I, I just was thinking about. You know, I, I, you take a bunch of time off in the summer, um, and I did in July, and, and you try and think of, you know, in, in my case anyway, like, there's a lot that the Canucks accomplished this summer that I actually really like, right? Like, I'll, I'll give you a couple examples, but, but the, the obvious stuff is, you know, you, you buy out Oliver ekman Larson, right? And, and Ethan Bear gets hurt, so he's not qualified, and that freed up like $9.5 in space. And that nine and a half million in space was used to obviously add size to the back end in Susie and Cole, and then, you know, bolster some of the defensive skill uh, up front with Bluger and Pius Suter. And, you know, that's it. Like that's, that's the nine and a half million. That's the Oliver Ekman Larson buyout money. And that's the, you know, Ethan bear gets non-tendered and and thus that money is not, you know, earmarked for his arbitration award and, or his settlement. Um, and that, that all makes sense, and it's all relatively low risk in terms of the years committed. I, I, you know, Susie's the longest deal at three, Pius Suter at two. I, I think that the term there is a feature, not a bug. Um, you know, th- that's like the sort of offseason that I think people who've wanted to see this team take a reasonable and sensible approach to addressing their sort of um, their, their shortcomings mm-hmm. wanted to see for like years, right? Like bargain shop a little bit, right? They do an August deal for the first time in forever. Um, you know, don't, don't commit a ton of term to, to depth guys in free agency. And, and maybe you could argue that Suter or Susie, excuse me, sort of breaks that mold, but like this was the Not off really, season. Though. Well, three years is it, like three. If he's only a third pair guy, three years, you know, consider the bar for disastrous contracts. It's below yeah, that bar. Yeah, for sure. It will, uh, but that's our bar. You know, like, that's that's our Stockholm Syndrome yeah. bar, Ruff. Like, you know, th- I'm just saying, there is material risk there, and I don't want to doubt totally, it. Totally, totally, yeah. Um, but, like, this was the offseason we were waiting for, and then, you know, I, I was thinking about, too, like, this team, instead of having a wash of, like, one and a half million dollar fourth liners, like, everyone, all their depth guys are, are at the league minimum. And most are on two-way deals. And that, to me, too, feels like a really reasonable reaction to, hey, we brought, we brought an AHL franchise locally, right? They spent, like, like wild in the summer of um, 2021, the Oliver ekman Larson trade summer. Remember, that was the first year that Abbotsford was here, and it was like, Nick Patan, sure, you get a, you know, a one-way deal. And they brought in all these big-name AHLers and had this huge AHL budget. And now it's like all of those guys are two-way. Like uh, Stadnika and Spencer Martin are the only one-way contracts that could end up in the AHL, and both are under 800K. Um, you know, there's a lot of sort of discipline in that. It, it, and, and it's sort of been like a, a slow thing. Even, even like the Heronic um, Kuzmenko deals are like short-term, right? I, I mean, 
all of this sort of flies in the face uh, with with the let's extend a 30 year old granted point per game player to a seven year deal. But like since that deal, right, since that deal, at least things have been short term, Mm -hmm. like at least with the exception of Miller. This team has now moved itself in a direction where if it doesn't work, you can actually disassemble it somewhat easily, right? Like there's the sort of discipline and optionality that I'm always ranting about that's, that's been shown over the course of the summer and, and it's welcome. And, and so I'm sort of looking at that and thinking, okay, you know, this is a team that started to do some interesting things after a season that, you know, like a really cataclysmic season, like, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it should be understated just how difficult last year was. Yeah, JT Miller made that clear on the podcast, like how, yeah, ba- how, like, how bad it was. It was for really everyone bad. involved. Yeah. For everyone in bad. For, for everyone in bad. For everyone who was down bad and involved. And, you know, to me anyway, when this team is talked about or thought about or, when I think about what I'm going to be asked on a radio hit, right? It's always like, well, do you think they're going to be a playoff team? And I, I just feel like that sets us up or frames a conversation about what this team's done well, but also what's come before it, what it's done poorly in, in sort of the wrong way, because there is a world where this team, in fact, you know, where this team is at in terms of its level. Like I think the, the clearest route to the playoffs you know, may be the Pedersen line shoots an ungodly percentage and Demko stands on his head for 65 games. And then, you know, that doesn't necessarily tell us mm-hmm. that this club's moving in the right direction. It doesn't necessarily show us that some of the sharp bets, that or the bets that I think are sharp anyway, that this front office has made this summer have necessarily paid off. Like, wh- what if the team makes the playoffs because their goaltending is amazing? But like Carson Soucy struggles right. and, and is is a depth guy, and um, you know JT Miller is, has you know thirty five on five points again, um, isn't a matchup centerman. In fact, they have to move him back to the wing. He's not a centerman at all, and you know loses ten percent off his first step in a way that gives you the yips or gets you nervous mm-hmm. about what year two of that deal looks like. Like, is that worth it? Like, is that good? Are we gonna be Are we gonna be sitting here in April? after the Canucks, you know, make the playoffs but lose in five and all of those underlying things happen and say that was successful? Do you think like, do you me, think that's gonna be deeply worrying? Do you think the management group almost is actually considering what if things don't go well next season? Like the the way they're doing these moves, are, have they got this plan B? Because I think what we saw a lot of with the previous management group was how can I put this? Like a reckless optimism. Like that, you know, like that things will go well. We're optimistic about it. And the deals that were signed, almost like if this doesn't go well, it's going to be a disaster. And that's like exactly what happened with the likes of Erickson or especially OEL. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd meant, you know what? I'd mentioned the Miller trade as like number one for that, right? Which where you have the uh, conditional first, right? Like the conditions on that first was like deeply, deeply optimistic, right? Now it paid off, but to me, that's like more than the Erickson deal or the OEL trade, the conditions on the Miller deal, the fact that they traded this, you know, uh, protected first that only, um, that only moved if they made the playoffs, right? Like that, that to me was a deeply optimistic trade. 
um, and, and, and a good one as it turned out, but, but in terms of capturing that reckless optimism, I, I don't, th- I don't know that you'll find a better example from, uh, of like, we're betting on ourselves always, um, than that. The, yeah, I mean, I think you always have to, in a league this difficult, right? In a league where mistakes are so sticky, uh, and have such dire consequences or can mm-hmm. in, in terms of your options. Uh, I think you have to always consider the downside and you have to build that way. Like you, you have to build that way. You have to be conscious of like, if you're making a mistake, make it on a young guy where you'll have a couple of years to buy them out at a one third, you know, and they're, they're an elite talent anyway. Um, because for the most part, those guys hold value, even if they struggle for a bit. So yeah. You know, I, I mean, that to me is sort of the way that teams have to operate. Um, if you're being responsible, you have to at least be managing your downside risk. You, you can't, um, you know, have one of the worst contracts in the league. You can't, like, I know he I know he got hot for eight weeks, but it's like, man, that Bobrovsky contract kills the Panthers, right? Uh, the Oliver Ekman-Larsen contract kills the Canucks. And, and, yeah, I know they escaped it for one year, but, like, the Bills – still going to be coming due for the rest of this decade. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to be managing that risk. So um, I'd hope they are like, I'd hope they're considering what if, um, and, and there are still a variety of things around this team that, you know, concern me um, in, in terms of uh, goalie depth would sort of still be number one. Uh, I still think the puck moving, like w- one thing I was also thinking about this week, I haven't actually written or said this anywhere, but one thing that I, often talked about with you, uh, Jason, and, and also um, Mike, too, and then, uh, and then Jamie every day. <laughs> constantly, constantly. Um, is uh, is uh, the, the construction of this team, and in particular the idea that their defense wasn't involved enough offensively and their forwards weren't good enough defensively, right? Like mm-hmm. that there was this sort of odd build that kind of left the team a little bit stuck. And – you know, I think if you look around the league, like one thing that I'd suggest to you is I really think you need like four and a half, four and a half guys that can move the puck really, really well. And like one of those guys can be in that like Alec Martinez, TJ Brody, Chris Tanev mold of like were elite in transition when they were in their early 20s and are now in their 30s and can still move the puck, maybe can't skate it with the same level no. of dynamism, yeah. right? But, but they know how to win. Mm. Right. So like one of those types of guys can be like a 0.5, right. Four and a half guys that can really move the puck from the back end. And, you know, Hronik helps, but by the time you lose bear, right. Who, who, you know, is probably in that like half or a full point mold and, and replace him with Susie and, and Cole. Like, I don't know that that issue is fixed. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I especially I especially think like and I think this is high leverage because I know a lot of people have been talking about, you know, well, play Hughes with Juleson or um, like, I really think that th- you're going to need you're going to need a guy like a, an Akito Horose or a Christian Milanin in the lineup simply to have enough puck moving. Like, I really don't think this team's going to have enough puck moving with, you know, Juleson added to the the five guys that we all expect. Like, I, I, I really think it's going to need to be someone who can play on a pair and move the puck because I still think this persistent issue this team has had uh, remains. Like I still think there's they're they're a man and a half short 
in terms of guys that can really get up and, and get the puck moving consistently, break four checks, um, you know, do the things that a, a, a Zach Whitecloud can do in, in tough minutes uh, to really get the puck moving in the right direction. And up front, you know, I still don't like Pius Suter and Teddy Bluger help a lot, but I still don't know if this team has the personnel to grind out three, two wins or four, two wins consistently, right? Like I still don't know that there's enough high IQ defensive players, especially not higher up the lineup yep. uh, on this team. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.